if we're going to be honest about it, you know, any person who would strive to be successful, which means trying to achieve something above and beyond what most people or what the average person has done, that person at some level has to have a level of arrogance about them, right? They think they're special. We think we're special when we're trying to do something great or do something that's never been done before. And that's okay. I think it's wonderful to think, hey, I'm I'm the person who should do this thing. You know, if you didn't believe you were special, you wouldn't go for it in the first place. Why would you do it unless you didn't believe you were worthy? And even if we keep this just in the context of, you know, playing sports, if you want to be a starter, you have to believe at some level that you're more talented or more intelligent or you have a greater IQ for the game or even you want it more, a greater work ethic or all of the above. And you have to believe that there is something inspe something special about you, otherwise you wouldn't even try. So those same rules, they apply with anything in life. Now, the only reason that someone would stop trying or fails to keep trying or starts not feeling worthy is because either some someone or something starts to fool you into thinking that you're not good enough or thinking that you're average. And oftentimes that someone or something is ourselves our own inner critic. So the root of imposter syndrome is always this deep rooted, you know, level of self doubt or insecurities that we have. It always comes down to those two things. Am I good enough? What if I fail? And so the way that you start to combat that feeling that we all will experience at one point or another, the way you combat that is by preparing and studying and, and building yourself and taking action, even in the face of imposter syndrome what's happening beautiful people welcome back to the thrive after sports podcast what you're about to listen to is a live workshop that i hosted in collaboration with athlete soul the title of the workshop is embracing expanded identity and defeating imposter syndrome at the beginning of the workshop we did some quick q a made an announcement that the soul of an athlete book is now live 14 co-authors came together to create this incredible book. Miriam, the founder of Athlete Soul is obviously behind this. And in the early stages, I helped kind of get this off the ground. But at the beginning, I did some Q&A with Kelsey Weekman and Alicia McConnell, who are both co-authors in the book, along with Miriam and 14 other co-authors. Then we get into the workshop portion. I will tell you there's a moment where I was having some technical difficulties trying to share a video clip the video was playing but the sound wasn't working so i edited that part out so you guys don't have to listen to me struggle and i just inserted the video clip into this episode so if you're listening on apple or spotify or just audio only podcast right now by the time it gets to that clip playing you're probably going to want to switch over and go to youtube so you can actually see the clip i think it's a really important part of what i wanted to get across in this workshop but yeah let's get into it thank you guys as always for tuning in to thrive after sports if you're watching on youtube please like the video subscribe to the channel uh if you're watching or listening on apple or spotify please click the five star button leave me a review if you have a few minutes just write a few sentences about what you're getting from the show and please as always share this out with someone who needs to hear it i appreciate you guys we'll see you in the next episode and let's get into this live workshop on embracing expanded identity and defeating imposter syndrome this is our November monthly huddle already, and uh, Taj is our host today, um, and I'm going to pass it on to you straight away, Taj. If you guys have any questions, feel free to come off the camera, ask your question, interrupt, uh, but Taj will give you all the uh, the rules, if any, if there are any rules, so I'll let, I'll let it with you now. Perfect. Miriam, I am going to need permission to share, probably at some point. Yes. Um, and, do that right now. 
And just so everybody knows as well, we are recording the call. Um, I just wanted to make sure you're aware. So we have to behave. <laughs> you have to behave. No, to not really. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on your definition of behave, you know? <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Miriam. No, I think we're all set. You can start. Okay, cool. So, and by the way, like Miriam said, guys, don't feel obligated. It would be great to see some of your faces, but I know we're all busy people. You guys are probably doing a lot. So if you just want to chill and kick back and be in the background, that's fine. But today we're going to start off this call talking about, first of all, let me hold up the book because I got my copy. So congratulations to all 14 of the Soul of an Athlete co-authors. I know there were some bumps in the road with this publishing company, but you all did phenomenal work. It's across the finish line. Congratulations to all of you who are published authors. This is exciting. I haven't read all of the book yet. I've read a lot of it. And we actually have, well, of course, Miriam, but Kelsey and Alicia on the call today who are co-authors in that book. I think, wait, am I missing somebody? Yeah. Okay. So I'll pass it to you first, Alicia, and then we'll come to you, Kelsey. My first question is just, I always love to ask new authors this because this was a question that was asked to me when I was publishing my first book is going into writing this chapter. What was your thought process? Meaning, what did you want the reader to take away by the time they put the book or they, they finish your chapter? What was the main takeaways or what did you want them to get from it? Yeah, good question. I, I think there's two main things. One is realizing that there really is no end game. It's the process. It's the day to day. It's the simple things. It's trying to take joy out of the losses as well as the wins. And, and so I think for me, it's like life so much talks about this finish line and goals and you got to get there. And it's actually for me realizing it's the process. You have to really embrace the process because um, you can win everything and, have lots of trophies and accomplish so many things, but ultimately that might not be what, that's not necessarily what brings you joy. So the other piece was mainly um, that it, it isn't easy. Like even if someone portrays this super confident uh, presentation, so to speak, I, th I think we all have challenges and, and it's, it's, it's also start trying to embrace those challenges and that's just part of life. And I think that whole idea of being vulnerable is, is a strength because then you're willing to change. You're willing to see maybe where you could improve because sometimes your greatest strengths a little, as you move through life can become your weaknesses. So, so that's the other, the piece I wanted to share. So there you go. Thank you for that, Alicia. And thank you for being here. I know you're on the move right now in yeah, some part thanks, of the world. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of my favorite things about what you shared just now is the part about there not being an end game. I think that, of course, you know, we all need goals and especially as driven people and current and former athletes, things to go after. But embracing that mindset of there's always a game to play. There really is no finish line. So just play the game with enjoyment, kind of like we did when we were kids. I thought that was, right, that was really exactly. cool. So thank you for that. So Kelsey, big loaded question, but what did you want people to take away from your chapter? And I have some things that I highlighted, which we'll talk about in a second, because that kind of it's a smooth transition into what we're going to talk about today. 
Um, I don't know if I necessarily had that much forethought when I started it, but rather I just had this question on my mind of what is success after you're done playing a sport. And for collegiate athletes, it's so clear, right? Not only in school where it's really clear you get an A plus, you like you can get really clear defined success measures, but also in your sport where you're winning games, you're winning playoff games, you're or losing games, right? But there's really clear measures. And once you're out of that world, what does success look like when you're in the real world? And it gets really hard to define the further away you get, start having, you know, having a job, right? Okay, promotions, but that isn't always tied to effort and the more longer hours. And then particularly when you get to having a family, what does it look like to be successful having kids or a spouse? Um, so that was really the question that I was trying to uncover and that I kind of unpacked through the writing journey. Awesome. Yeah, you did a great job of that. And I like how you broke your chapter down into different stages of your life. So because today we're here to talk about embracing a new identity and overcoming imposter syndrome. And so ironically, as I was reading through your chapter the other day, I'm like, there are a lot of things in here that kind of detail that journey for you. So I'm going to read a couple of things I highlighted. And this is you talk about your high school journey, you talk about college being an ice hockey goalie, and then you talk about going into, as we call it, the real world and starting your professional career. And so these are a couple of things I highlighted and I'm I'm paraphrasing and skipping around, but I'll just share all the things I highlighted and then I have a question for you. So my foundation was still firmly planted in being a high achiever, but now I needed to be an exceptional employee. Fortunately, those characteristics translated well into well to being successful in business. Unfortunately, I was still trying to find validation and prove I was an exceptional employee to myself and to others. In a challenging job with conflicting priorities and demands, I was left floundering to find clear measures to validate my success. On a daily basis with various business crises and changing priorities, success felt impossible to define, much less achieve. But I didn't see any option other than to figure it out. Uh, I wish I could tell you that I stopped looking for external praise and instead looked for pride within myself. That's just not true. So how did you, once again, another loaded question, how did you eventually start to find that internal validation rather than seeking it externally, like we're taught to do throughout our entire sporting careers? Uh, before I answer that, can I just tell you I had mostly an out-of-body experience because I've never had somebody read back the words that I wrote. <laughs> so this was like a really cool moment. Thanks for all being a part of this. Um, I I don't know. I'm still on that journey is truly the, the best answer, right? It has only been in the unpacking that I have always attached success with achievement together that I'm trying to pull that apart and say, oh, achievement doesn't necessarily equal success unless it's something that I want internally. Um, so I don't think I necessarily have an answer, but I do know that it's individualized, right? Taj's success isn't the same success that I would define for myself or Alicia or Miriam. Um, so I think trying to figure that out for yourself is the first step. Absolutely. No, that's great advice. We are indeed all still on this journey, as you said. Miriam just dropped a quote from Alicia's chapter that I want to read. I'm blind, so bear with me. I have to like lean up on the screen, you guys. Uh, <laughs> it says, I had become so used to doing things one way, which was with an unending intensity, and it was tough to learn that everyday life is not that. Daily life can be calmer and more balanced. Whew. Amen. So I have to say about that one, folks. <laughs> uh, 
So, wait a minute. I oh, shared it with everybody, Tej. Oh, okay. I didn't really. <laughs> Sorry, guys. One of these days, I'll figure out how to use Zoom. I'm only on it every day, you know. But <laughs> I, I want to say this before we get into the workshop portion. First of all, Alicia and Kelsey, thank you for being here. Thank you for being willing to share a little bit about your chapters. For those here with us today and for those who may be watching or listening to the recording, please go support this book. This is an incredible book. Um, of course, it is available on Amazon or through the um, Athlete Soul website. But one thing a lot of people don't know about self-publishing is that it really helps out the authors, all 14 of these folks. If you know someone, and chances are if you're here or if you're watching this, you know someone who is a co-author in this book. Um, as a self-published author, it really helps when you reach out and order books directly from each co-author. It makes a big difference. Amazon takes a huge percentage of sales from authors. So just keep that in mind. If you know someone, reach out, grab a copy from them, and then you can get a signed copy because it's coming directly from the author as well. So, all right, that's that. Let me get into the workshop portion of this. Uh, I was asked to speak about embracing a new identity after competing and overcoming imposter syndrome. I know that many of us have experienced or still experience imposter syndrome at one point or another. And so as usual, I don't have any slides or PowerPoint. I'm going to share a video at some point if we have enough time. I'm going to be speaking from the heart as always and my notes. If I can stay on track with my notes, I always bring notes, but sometimes they go off into the weeds. So I want to start with this. The first time most of us experience imposter syndrome is, of course, through athletics. So for me personally, freshman year in high school, I got brought up to varsity. And here I am as a 15 year old thinking, whoa, these are like 17 and 18 year old. These are grown men, you know, and you feel that was the first time I can remember thinking, am I good enough? What if I fail? I'm not qualified. I'm not big enough. I'm not old enough. All, all these things. Some of us, it happens when we get to college. It happened to me in college again, as I'm sure it did for many of us. You know, you get to college and you're not the best person on your team anymore. You used to be in that person in high school, but now there are plenty of other people who are just as good, if not as good as you. Some of us, even if you're the best person in college, by the time you get to the pros, your rookie year, that's when you feel that imposter syndrome start to creep in. Now, for the first time, you're not that person. You're not the guy or that girl anymore. You're just a number on the team trying to earn your spot. And I know there are Olympians on this call as well. So for some people, no matter how many Olympics you've been to, you may experience that. Now, there's also that level of imposter syndrome that creeps in when we're done competing. And we know that that's what we were just talking about through Kelsey's chapter and Alicia's chapter as well. There are times when you get out into the real world and you lose your identity and now you're in the business world trying to figure out. And we're going to we're going to focus primarily on that part today. What happens when you're in the real world and you're trying to figure out your next move? So the first thing, defeating imposter syndrome requires faith. And we'll come back to that in a second. That will come up many times as I'm speaking today because um, I want to get deep into the psychology of someone in the pursuit of success and how imposter syndrome, imposter syndrome even comes about and how it can ultimately trip you up. Because <clears throat> if we're going to be honest about it, you know, any person who would strive to be successful, which means trying to achieve something above and beyond what most people or what the average person has done. That person at some level has to have a level of arrogance about them, right? They think they're special. We think we're special when we're trying to do something great or do something that's never been done before. And that's okay. I think it's wonderful to think, hey, I'm I'm the person who should do this thing. I'm just going to use Miriam as an example. Like, 
I'm the person who should found Athlete Soul. We wouldn't be here if Miriam didn't have that sense of, you know, I, I think I'm the person to do it. So that's a beautiful thing. But, you know, if you didn't believe you were special, you wouldn't go for it in the first place. And it's almost this mindset of why would you do it unless you didn't believe you were worthy? And even if we keep this just in the context of, you know, playing sports, if you want to be a starter, you have to believe at some level that you're more talented or more intelligent or you have a greater IQ for the game or even you want it more a greater work ethic or all of the above. And you have to believe that there is something in spe something special about you. Otherwise, you wouldn't even try. So those same rules, they apply with anything in life. Now, the only reason that someone would stop trying or fails to keep trying or starts not feeling worthy uh, of pursuing opportunities that are in front of you or stops feeling worthy of going after things that you want to go after, but you're stopping yourself, it's because either some someone or something starts to fool you into thinking that you're not good enough or thinking that you're average. And oftentimes that someone or something is ourselves, our own inner critic. So the root of imposter syndrome is always this deep rooted, you know, level of self-doubt or insecurities that we have. It always comes down to those two things. Am I good enough? What if I fail? And so the way that you start to combat that feeling that we all will experience at one point or another, the way you combat that is by preparing and studying and, and building yourself and taking action, even in the face of imposter syndrome, right? To bring it back to the analogy of athletics, anytime we took losses, you didn't stop training. You didn't stop going to practice because you took a loss or you had a bad play or something happened. You still stayed with it. So the same rules apply with anything that you're going after. But sometimes there's a, I always say preparation, preparation kills fear and anxiety. I'm always nervous before I do one of these workshops, but the fact that I take the time to prepare, even like leading up to five, 10 minutes before I jump on here, it makes me feel more at ease because I've given some level of thought about what I want to speak to. You know, I'm not just showing up. I would be really nervous if I didn't have anything prepared right now. So the same thing applies in life. But sometimes there's a blind spot, right? That's This is important. Sometimes there's a blind spot in the way that prevents us from even preparing properly so we can kind of keep that fear or anxiety or self-doubt at bay. And that blind spot often is, and we don't usually think about this, but that blind spot is usually a lack of faith. Back to faith again. So what I find to be useful is that you have to detach yourself from some of the things that you're believing about yourself or that you're saying to yourself, you don't have to believe everything that you tell yourself. I'm going to say that again. You don't have to believe everything that you tell yourself because sometimes we tell ourselves some pretty ugly things. You know, one of the things I like to do when I'm working with someone or even for myself, I started doing it for myself before I taught it to anyone else is to create a voice if you learn to listen to the voice in your head, you can create a separate voice when you notice that voice is telling you something that is not serving you or serving your higher self, right? I'll even do a funny voice sometimes. Like if I'm like, uh, Taj, who are you to, if I catch myself thinking, Taj, who are you to try to pursue, pursue X, Y, Z? I'll be like, Taj, who do you think you are? Or I might do something silly like that and say it out loud, you know, just to, just to really make it more real and, and, create that clear separation between what I'm thinking and what I'm actually committed to. 
let me let me give you guys an example all right this is what i want to share there's a movie has anybody seen this movie called the peaceful warrior I want to give you some context before I share this clip. So I want to encourage everyone to watch this movie. I had someone in my comments on YouTube tell me, hey, you should go watch this movie. I think it speaks a lot to it's one of those movies from the early 2000s that flew under the radar. I think it has uh, I think his name's Nick Nolte and some other people. But I'm going to share this clip with you because I really think it drives home the, the point of separating yourself from the voice inside of you that's trying to pull you down. You know, and just to give you some context, the movies, I don't want to give the whole thing away, but the scene you're about to watch, the guy is a gymnast at Cal, Cal Berkeley, and he gets injured and he can no longer compete. And he runs into this spiritual guru and he's kind of teaching him things about ego and about himself. And in this scene, he's at a point where he's considering taking his own life and he runs into the version of himself that is that has been trying to pull him down or tell him he's worthless because he can no longer compete. So I'm just going to let that play for a second. All right, you guys, I'm interrupting this episode not to run an ad or anything, but to let you know, this is the portion of the workshop where I started having technical difficulties. So I'm just going to drop the clip that I was trying to share with the group during the live workshop. Uh, and the video was planned, but I couldn't get the sound to work for whatever reason, even though I tested it out beforehand. What are you going to do? Right. But uh, I'm about to play the video here. So if you're watching or if you're listening to the podcast, just click the link below and it'll take you to the video on YouTube. So you can actually watch this portion of the workshop where uh, I'm showing the video that I was trying to share during the workshop. So you'll see the video pop up and then it'll go back into me talking about the video afterwards, if that makes sense. Anyway, here we go.
What do you want? No one's stopping me, so just stay away. I didn't come here to stop you. You think I won't do it? Because I'm not afraid of anything. Not even this. Or how about this? Or this? Look at you. on for dear life, afraid to fall. You know what you're doing? No. Do you know who you are without me? No. Then what are you doing? So even though you can't hear it, I want you to watch it and I'll put it on double speed. So basically you, you guys see he's in the room, he's destroying all of his trophies and everything. And he's just really going through it. And I know all of us have been through this at one point or another. And okay, here we go. So in the movie, I'll skip ahead a little bit. He's going up to this tower, which is on campus. So you already know what's in his head, right? And he gets up to the top of this tower and while he's up there looking down and getting ready to jump, he runs into himself. 
And this is the version of himself that's been talking to him. He's basically saying, you're worthless. You should just do it. Um, and he's trying to pull him down. So the version of himself that is has been talking to him this whole time is trying to pull him off the edge. And then at a certain point, he says to the the negative version of himself, he says, you're the one I need to let go of, aren't you? And then you'll see, I mean, I wish you guys could hear this. I might need to just drop it in the chat so you guys can watch it on your own or just go watch the whole movie. It's incredible. At a certain point when he's trying to let him go, then the negative version of himself gets scared. And right here, he's scared. He's like, are you, are you really going to let go of me? And he says to him, do you even know who you are without me? Guys, when I saw this part, I, I just started bawling immediately. We've all heard, you know, you're more than your sport. But to have it put like that, where he's asking himself, do you even know who you are without me? The version of yourself that's been competing all these years. That's what he's, that's it right there. Do you know who you are without me? And so he lets him go. And I'll just stop sharing right there. But damn, I wish you guys could have seen that. I tested it out. It worked when I tested it. So anyway, back to the topic at hand. So what I'm getting at, and you guys get the point, it's about detaching from the voice, not, not being so attached to the voice that you let it overtake you or pull you down a path that you don't need to be on or causes you not to take action with anything in your life. So being more strategic about how you talk to yourself. Now, whenever something's going wrong in my life, even right now, when I'm trying to figure that video out and I'm like, damn, I really wanted them to see that. I'm still saying in my head, it's going to be all right. You'll figure it out. You've got this covered. You've done this before. You've been in situations like this before. I keep repeating these things in my mind. And in times of imposter syndrome or where you're trying to figure it out, those things will be crucial. Because no matter how confident someone may appear or how confident they pretend to be, and I think, Alicia, you touched on this earlier, if someone's doing something they've never done or they're going after some big audacious goals, they're doubtful, they're nervous, they're unsure, they're scared of being embarrassed, they're scared of going broke or failing, and all of us as human beings go through this at one point or another. My, my first job out of college, I felt like something was wrong with me. I really thought I couldn't get to the bottom of it. And Kelsey, you talked about this with, you know, going into the professional world. You find yourself going from competing on a team where you know your role and you know you're gifted at whatever that thing is. And all of a sudden you're in an environment in a work environment, most of us are first jobs out of college. Some people are lucky, but all of a sudden you're in an environment where most people are only there for the check. You know, the average mindset of most people going into the work, they're not coming in with the mindset of a competitive athlete. And so when you come into the average work of the average workplace, you've got all this drive and this ambition and you want to improve and you want to excel and you want to, you know, compete with your coworkers and whatever you're doing. And it's very easy to feel out of place when that isn't matched. Or it's very easy when you have all this drive, but you don't see yourself being successful right away because you're starting at the bottom of the totem pole, so to speak. And so this is where self-doubt comes into play again. And this is where it's important to just remind yourself of all of the things that you have achieved and remind yourself that you are more than capable of figuring it out. And sometimes it can be a good reminder to you that you're on the wrong path. Because one of the things that was a silver lining with me being in a job that I felt was unfit or me feeling out of place is it caused me to question my direction, which as uncomfortable as it is, can ultimately be a blessing in disguise when you're starting to say, well, maybe it's not me. Maybe it's just my environment. And maybe I need to reconsider where I'm going or 
where, where I want to go or who I'm surrounding myself with. And so that situation, the first few jobs after college, actually, it taught me to start asking myself questions that put me into a mode of creating my life rather than just taking what I could get. And I've done workshops before on, you know, designing your life and uh, customizing your life and being very intentional about that. But feeling like an imposter is what was the catalyst for me to start asking myself those questions initially. So I invite you to anytime you have one of those moments of imposter syndrome creeping in, and I'm saying that for those watching the recording too, like I know some people may be listening to this who are just starting out in the real world. If you have a moment where you feel it creeping in, be kind to yourself, encourage yourself and keep going and keep working to improve, but also understand that you may need to look at where you're going and use that as a moment to reconsider if the imposter syndrome is based in just fear or it's trying to tell you that you're doing the wrong thing or you're in the wrong place. So just something to think about. Now, the other thing I'll share is that if you're if you're relying on your environment to tell you who you are, then you're always going to find yourself on an emotional roller coaster. You know, I went from being a D1 football player and I'm up here to now I'm an unemployed college graduate and I'm down here and now I got my first job and I'm up here because I'm employed and I'm adulting now, but then uh, I don't belong here. I'm not really good at this job. I don't really like this. And now my identity is back here. It's an emotional roller coaster, but it always comes back to faith. And I brought that up several times. You need to have faith in yourself and faith in the process that whatever you're trying to do or whatever you're in the middle of, you can get through it and you can figure it out. Now, some people, not everyone is religious, right? So sometimes when I talk about faith in various groups, people automatically go to um, God or, you know, religious beliefs. And that's not necessarily the case. Even if you don't, if you're not a religious person, or let's say you are a religious person and you're saying, well, I don't necessarily have faith in myself, but I have faith in God. Technically, that is or God or universe, whatever you want to call it. Technically, that is still faith in yourself because you believe that a higher power or God chose you to do this thing. So however you can get belief in yourself, try to get it. If you don't have belief in yourself or faith in yourself, try to find faith from someone else. That's a great way to find it is from someone who's already been through it. Any of us, most of us on this call, at least the folks that I can see or that I know, if an athlete is in a situation where they've lost faith in their future because they don't know what life is going to look like when they're done competing, any of us can give them faith in the process because we've made it through to the other side. So that's a piece of you know advice that I want to share too, is that if you're in a situation where you're lacking faith, seek out people who have accomplished what you want to accomplish and let them give you faith. And even if you don't have those people in your life, please have faith in yourself anyway. Okay, next point. Working on yourself in the dark gives you confidence in the light. We've all heard that before. And I, I, bring, that, I bring that up because when we're talking about that in the context of imposter syndrome, once you have the correct outcome in mind and you're sure and you verify that this is the path that I want to be on, you have to give yourself a little bit of grace in that process as you continue working on things in the dark, so to speak. When I think about some of the greats, if we talk about the late great Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan, it's hard to imagine those folks having imposter syndrome simply because 
they've done so much work in preparation that when it's game time, when it's time to show up, they're not thinking to themselves, man, I hope I don't fail. I hope they're in a zone of let me loose, let me out of, you know, let me out of my cage so I can showcase all of this work and the light that I've been doing in the dark. That's the mentality right there. That's the mentality that I want you all to capture and start to incorporate into your own life. Anything that you have, no matter no matter what you have on your plate, no matter what opportunities are coming up, if you look at it from a standpoint of I'm going to be I'm going to do so much work, healthy work, by the way. All right. There's a time and a place for sacrificing sleep and all that. But I'm going to put so much into this that by the time I show up, there's not going to be any doubt. I forget how that I think Nick Saban said uh, one of my favorite quotes. He said that uh, something about you, you practice, you don't practice until you get it right. You practice until you can't get it wrong. So that if you practice or prepare for whatever opportunities you have coming up, it would be virtually impossible for you to show up with any level of imposter syndrome with that type of work ethic. So here's another thing. I always know that people are going to have a problem. So I try to change this thinking when I catch it. I know that people are going to have a problem ultimately achieving success when they look at successful people, whatever their idea of success is, when they look at those people as like special beings or like they're different, like there's some sort of different species of human because they've achieved success. Um, Man, I'm, I'm dropping a bunch of quotes today, but this one, another one of my favorite quotes is that extraordinary people know that all people are ordinary. So anytime you see someone who's done something and you say, I, I want to do that too, you can do it. All you have to do is follow through with whatever it is that they've done. Now, I want to, I want to take a quick pause and kind of get some examples from folks that we can talk through. I mean, we can talk about during your athletic career or we can talk about things that you've seen since retiring that came up for you as examples of imposter syndrome. And I love to hear stories of how you overcame it or maybe somebody's dealing with something right now where they feel like an imposter and they wanna overcome it. Does anyone have anything like that that they'd like to share? Um, I can share a bit. I'm in kind of a moment of transition in my life where I'm working full time, but also trying to build out this coaching business for um, athletes and former athletes to figure out how to succeed in life. Um, and I for sure have a lot of fear and critics voices in my head thinking about well, I don't want to let go of the safety net of having the full-time job to do this thing that I don't know if I'm going to be good at. I don't know if I, you know, like all of that stuff is coming up. And so I have to ground myself in, okay, but I've done this. I have done the coachings, the one-on-one coachings. They go well. I hear they're going well. I hear I do a good job. So I, I try and find the positives to overcome those negatives and the the fear. So, and by the way, Kelsey, for the record, this is not me trying to coach you because you've coached me before. So, <laughs> you know, I don't want to act like I'm over here on my high horse. Like you and I are on the same playing field, but I'm just thinking about what you just shared and, you know, maybe some, the younger version of Kelsey or younger version of Taj who may be listening to this. Um, you bring up an interesting point because I was actually planning on speaking about imposter syndrome when it comes to 
entrepreneurship or trying to do things outside of the typical, you know, okay, I've got a job, but I have this, I have something pulling me to want to do something else, but I'm afraid to go into it full time. I think it's smart to not go into it full time until there's a, you know, a clear path ahead. I made that mistake early on and fell flat on my face. Like I'm just going to go full speed into entrepreneurship. And all I got was, you know, an empty bank account and a lot of heartache without having something else lined up. So, but I think to your point, you know that you're on the right path. And that comes back to what I was saying earlier with as long as you know that the vision is there and you're on the right path and there's something that you're looking to achieve, a lot of people fail just for not doing, it's not about doing the wrong thing. It's about not doing the right thing long enough. And people get discouraged so early on in the process. You know, you're, you create a product and no one buys it or you're making YouTube videos and no one's watching them. But even in those moments, there has to be something deeper that drives you. And in your case, Kelsey, I know that, well, I don't want to speak for you, but in spite of the fear and the imposter, sy- imposter syndrome that comes in as you're like, okay, I have a full-time job, but I'm working on this thing. You keep doing it anyway. What is it that's driving you to do that? Because it's not just all about you. If it was all about you, you would have quit already. Um, responsibilities. Um, but I agree. I think it's also that long-term vision that I've gotten really clear on of how do I see myself adding value in the in the future? What do I see as my purpose? What are some lifestyle goals goals that I have and how I can build that out with this other venture instead of the place that I'm in right now? Mm-hmm. And then uh, your the nature of what you do, the coaching, it's about helping other people too. Like that's the biggest thing. And I know that that keeps you driven. And I, I feel like Sometimes the thing that makes people give up is that they're not focused on the bigger picture. They're only focused on what's in it for them. And so if you don't see the desired outcome for yourself, it's so much easier to give up than if it's attached to something larger. You know, I think about and I know many of you on this call have probably seen this. There are probably um, someone reached out to me when I published my first book or and it's happened a couple of times with the podcast where they told me that reading their reading my book or listening to my show, let them know that they weren't alone and they were in a really bad place and considering taking their own life. The first time that happened, it was like, you know, I've been through many moments, even last year where I was, I could have easily been like, yeah, I think I'm just going to hang up, thrive after sports completely and go do something else or something that's more lucrative or whatever the case may be. But then you think about those people and it's like, well, I can't, now it's a responsibility. And you said responsibility. So, man, does anyone else have, thank you for sharing that, Kelsey. Does anyone else want to share anything? You don't have to come on video if you're working or whatever, but, you know, if you want to just share your audio, is there anyone who's dealing with imposter syndrome right now or wants to give an example of how they've overcome uh, imposter syndrome? Uh, Yeah, this is Thomas here. Can you all hear me? Yes, sir. Loud and clear. Um, so I kind of dealt with that when I started my, my coaching business back in 2019. Um, and it was kind of one of those, uh, situations where it was like, man, am, am I really meant for this? I'm not really meant like I go through this roller coaster of, I suck at this. Wait, no, I don't suck at this. No, I suck at this. And it's just like <laughs> up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. And, you know, the clientele that I work with, you know, it, it, every now and then I have to like kind of look back at that and say, no, I do have validation. 
of what I do because like I work with Olympic athletes, I work with pro athletes and it's still, still this day sometimes every now and then I'll, I kind of go through that where I'm like, man, am I really cut out for this? You know? And then, and then, and then like something will happen and it's like, Oh, I am cut out for this. And it's just, it's just crazy how that works. But, um, I just have to keep bringing myself back to my why, you know, and, and, and why I do it. Um, and just, that's really what drives me to, to be successful. Um, really it's my, my you know, my, my family and just kind of want to work for myself. So. Thomas, first of all, thank you for sharing that. And and also, can you remind me what your I know you work with elite athletes, Olympians, the whole nine. But can you remind me the the nature of your coaching business? Uh, yeah, I, I do what I call sleep performance coaching. So I'm, right. I'm like a sleep coach. But yeah. Yep. That's right. So and then on that note, you said your why is what keeps you going in spite of those moments of self-doubt or feeling like an imposter. So how do you define your why? Um. I mean, every day when I look at my daughter, you know, I mean, like she's she's part of my why is, is I want this to be successful. Um, but I enjoy helping people, too, as well. So when I, you know, when, when you and it happens a lot, like when I when, when when like an athlete comes to my clinic and I'm like working on them or like I, I do a follow up with them and I say, hey, like, you know, how did last time go? And they're just like, oh, man, like, you know, my, my back feels great or oh my hip doesn't really hurt anymore. Or, oh, man, I feel amazing. And it just kind of like, ah, OK, I, I, I can do this. You know, and so that's kind of it it seems like my why um, that's really what what really does it for me is just like just looking at my daughter every day because and like I'm doing it to make a better life for her. But I'm also doing it to, um, you know, to make life better for athletes so they can continue to, you know, play the sport that they love. Amazing. And Miriam, thank you for putting that in the chat. I I think I've looked at Thomas. I've looked at your website before, but it was months oh, ago you, I've, I've slept since then no pun intended with the sleep coaching <laughs> <laughs> that's good <laughs> um but you bring up a good point and i think that a lot of people don't try to dig deep and find their why on this pursuit for success or whatever they're pursuing they don't dig deep and try to find that until something happens so i think it's important to consider that if you know you're going on any venture it doesn't matter what it is like and i know we're, we're talking to athletes here like you know at some point there may come a loss you know and the same is a, the same thing applies in the business world so if you go into it anticipating that there may be moments where you're not going to want to keep going then you can build those things into place of head ahead of time instead of being like oh no my whole world world is crumbling let me try to dig deep and find my why you can say okay i'm going on this journey I need to have in my tool belt, so to speak, my metaphorical tool belt, some things that will keep me driven when those moments pop up because I know that they're coming. So Thomas mentioned is his is his daughter, right? For me, most of you guys know I have a my son is due, my firstborn is due in about a month. And even before my wife was pregnant, you know, really for the past three, four, or five years, I've had these here baby shoes. On my desk. These are baby shoes that my dad bought for me when I was a kid. And I keep these on my desk because every day when I'm working, I look at those shoes and it reminds me, this is why I'm doing it. You know, I want to have something that I can pass off to him or I want to give him an example that you don't have to just stay in a job that you don't enjoy or just, you know, take what you're given. You can carve your own lane in this world and create your own your own lane. So what do I look like giving up on it or not continuing to pursue it when now I'm going to have somebody looking at me? You know, he might watch this video one day. Be like, man, dad, you were really struggling with that YouTube video, but you kept it going, you know? <laughs> so anyone else? Is there, is there, Megan, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I just don't know if you and I have connected 
before? Um, Hi, Taj. No, we have not connected. Okay, and sorry, okay. I was late because I had a mix up with the time um, of our huddle today. So, no, my my story is similar to Kelsey's, actually. Um, I was trying to think of an imposter syndrome, but I've you know started a coaching career coaching athletes. I focus on performance and transition for athletes. Um, I was trying to think back um, when I first retired. I was a, a national team springboard platform diver. Uh, for 17 years. And when I retired, um, I was so focused on um, trying to make the Olympic team that I kind of let all my job search stuff go to the side. I figured I'll deal with that when I retire from diving. You know, I didn't take advantage of the opportunities that my um, university college offered at the time. And I, I didn't tap into that when I retired. And I really regret that. That's something, a lesson that I learned. But anyway, when I started off, um, it was, I was trying to figure out what to do with my life and my career. And my struggle was trying to find a career that I was as passionate about that I was about my sport. And I kept coming up short. I kept thinking, I'm never going to find anything that I'm so passionate about that I was with my sport of diving that I love so dearly. Um, and so I was always in search of something that I was going to be so passionate about. So I was looking for that purpose and that meaning in my life. Um, I did a, a bunch of jobs and, and, set out to achieve success in the business world. I had a business degree, but it always kept coming up short for me um, until I started a family <laughs> that gave me lots of purpose and meaning. And that was amazing. Um, sort of two decades of my life. I'm now an empty nester and it's wonderful because I have time to focus on my own career. And I have found that joy and passion in what I do. And that is uh, coaching athletes. So I'm really grateful that I found that it took me couple decades. <laughs> um, but I did it through exploring and trying different jobs and things like that. And, and um, the imposter syndrome certainly was there when I was in the corporate world trying to make my way, starting off as a, um, like you said, starting at the bottom of the, of the ladder. When you've been so good at something for so long, you've been the best in the world. And then to have to like stop and retire and move on to a new career and start at the beginning, like that was so incredibly hard for me. That was so incredibly hard. And I really had to sort of just fake it till I made it. <laughs> that was sort of an interesting um, lesson. That was a challenge for sure. But it wasn't until I found um, this career of working with athletes that I always knew I wanted to work with athletes. And it wasn't until I found something like like this, what I'm doing now that I realized I was always searching for um, something that was meaningful and purposeful and something that I had, again, it comes back to passion. And I feel really, really grateful that I found this. And the way I found it was by working with a career coach myself. I actually hired a career coach to help me figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Because <laughs> I figured, you know, I'm, I'm going to be an empty nester in, in a few years because my kids are growing up. And so what am I going to do when I'm an empty nester? So I hired a career coach. And when I worked with her, I discovered that actually this is what I want to do is coach others. I've been coached my whole life. I love being coached. I was an athlete for so long. So um, I think it's about coming back to your true passion and finding purpose and meaning in your life. And that's hard. Like that takes time and you have to really listen to that internal dialogue and um. Yeah, I think that's it's it's not doesn't happen overnight, I think, is something that I discovered. And and sometimes you have to try a bunch of different things before you find it. Mm. 
Absolutely. Thank you for giving us like the whole, <laughs> every <laughs> step of the way. No, that, that was great. And you know, one of the things you said that stood out to me amongst many others was, and I know you were just joking, but you were like, you know, it may have taken me decades to get here. But I think that's the important part is that you didn't give up. Like you didn't just say, oh, well, maybe there's nothing out there that's going to light me up. Like yeah. you stayed at it. You hired, you did whatever you had to do. You hired a coach, but through all that time, you knew there was something there and you didn't give up on it. And that's the most important part. Yeah. And I think, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I think that I knew deep down, I always want to do something that I was passionate about. Like that just was something that always burned in the back of my head. And I wasn't willing to settle. I could do, I knew I could do a lot of different jobs. I didn't want to just have a job. I didn't want to just have a paycheck. It was so important to me. Well, I'm, I'm also in a position where I'm fortunate enough that I have a, a husband partner who, you know, can help pay the mortgage. So I, I I was in that position, but I didn't have to pay the mortgage. But I I also truly believed and people would ask me and I was like, you know, I just feel like I, I have I I just haven't figured out what it is that I'm going to do yet. And I just know that it's going to be something I'm passionate about. And I know it's there. I just had that faith and that belief. I wish and honestly, Taj, this is why I went into coaching. I wish I'd had someone like me back when I retired. We didn't have coaches back then. You know, they they sent me the Canadian Olympic Association sent me to a uh, a therapist or, or, you know, a psychologist. And I was like, I went to his office. and I was like, why am I talking to this person? He doesn't get me at all. So, I, I you know, now there's like obviously coaching's, you know, much more prevalent and people understand or we're getting the word out there. But um, there's a lot of great um coaches who are helping athletes um move through transition and find that next career so yeah absolutely you know i think just on the topic of embracing or a new identity because that was the topic of today and in addition to imposter syndrome one thing i want to point out is that everyone who shared today when it comes to trying to find something that brought them fulfillment or finding that new identity where it's like, yeah, this is who I am. This is who I want to be in the world. It all came back to helping people, right? No one said like, oh, I, you know, started doing Forex or started, I became a crypto trade. No offense to anybody who does any of those things. I'm just joking. But you'll notice that it wasn't tied to something external or something money related. It was, you know, like Megan said, I wanted to be the person that helped people get through what I went through. And I know that's the case for pretty much everyone on here. Um, and, and that's where it ultimately comes from. And so I've said this before, but I think it's worth repeating that a lot of times when people are in spaces and they're, they're, they've lost their identity and they're struggling with who they are and they don't feel worthy and they're trying to figure out what they want to do, it's so important to take your eyes off of yourself and try to figure out how you can make a contribution. Because most people think to themselves, well, I'm just going to go, I need to make some money, I need to get a job. And that's fine. We all have to earn a living. But Ultimately, you will better serve yourself and serve the world by finding a way to contribute to your fellow human beings and the money. You will find a way to make money because money comes from other people. So even if it's not as direct as coaching, there are still ways you could serve by joining companies or doing things, being a part of missions that are impacting people and getting behind causes that you believe in. And that's where the, the fulfillment and ultimately the material gains will come from as well. So. That's all I had. I Man, I really wish I could figure out. I think I'm going to have to like, let me drop that clip in the in the chat because you guys have to, you guys got to see that and you guys got to watch that movie. It's an incredible movie. But Miriam, I didn't have anything else. Did you, did you have anything you wanted to share before we close out? 
Well, if you send me that link, I can share it with everybody to watch afterwards as well. Yes, I'm looking for it right now. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, for you to share it out. I think this is the right link. Now I'm trying not to. Taj. Yes. Can I just say one thing? Please. I just wanted to um, mention just a couple things that I think came up as you were speaking and others speaking is really important pieces to fight off the critic or the perfectionist or all these other identities that try to take us away from ourselves is, and you brought it up, the idea of really giving back and volunteerism, because often when we, um, you know, are working with other people and volunteering and giving our time, it we get to see other perspectives and realize I think we, we learn to be more grateful for what we have, um, but also it, it's, it, it really connects to ourselves when we're able to, you know, put value on our time, but yet then give it away because then we get that back. We A kid smiles at us because we help them learn how to teach them to hit a ball or whatever it is, feeding the homeless. It's, I think the volunteerism community service is really important in this, in this whole journey. So thanks. Thank you for that feedback. Um, couldn't agree with you more. I once had someone tell me, if you're thinking about yourself, you're thinking too small. It's like, wow, that's, uh, that's a great point. <laughs> and I kind of feel like an a-hole because I was thinking about myself. So, <laughs> but great feedback, Alicia. Thank you for that. Um, I did drop the clip in the chat. Or that's just the clip. Um, I, I want to encourage everybody to watch that movie. It's really, really good, especially for current and former athletes. So underrated. I don't know why it didn't. Maybe I think the movie was ahead of its time. It came out in early 2000s before people were talking about mindfulness and meditation and ego and all that type of stuff. But that that movie is jam packed with all of that. So, but Miriam, thank you for having me. Congrats again on the book. Well, congrats to, uh, to the ladies. Thank you for your contribution and sharing some of the uh, some thoughts about the book. Um, there are some really interesting. Uh, bits in the books and you know encourage you to uh, order it and and read we'll be sharing quite a lot about it uh, uh leading up to the holidays and then after it, uh, lots of valuable thoughts and things that can help um those in our community so we'll definitely share about that and thanks Dash, for uh for your time and um sharing about imposter syndrome <laughs> thank you <laughs> great to see everybody hope you have a great weekend Thanks, guys. Thank you. Uh, see you next we'll time. We'll see you later. Bye. 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 Thank you. Bye.